into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Unfortunately, accidentally, a friend of mine stole one of his jokes and didn't know he actually just thought of the same premise yeah and he was the the premise was that uh homosexuality in some places is illegal and what do they do if they catch you well they lock you up in jail with a bunch of men who want to have sex with you like and that was lenny bruce's line back like dig homosexuality is illegal right so what do they do they put you in jail with a bunch of men who want to have sex with you you know, like that was his whole like, and like that still would work today. Like, if there was a place where homosexuality was illegal today, and you did that joke, it's a good joke. It's like set up punchline. It's all right there. Okay, hello and greetings, the motherfucking damned. Hi, this is Jake Flores. Um, solo episode for uh, reasons I'll explain momentarily. First off the bat. Uh, I guess first off the bat, uh, uh, tr- trigger warning, spoiler alert, depending on who you are, um, <laughs> either either warning that you won't enjoy this or uh, I'm sorry to, to, to give away your favorite thing too early, but uh, lots of offensive words coming up here. Uh, I'm going to play a Lenny Bruce clip that has the N-word in it and centers around the concept of the N-word. Um, don't say I didn't warn you. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about profanity taboos and all that sort of shit, edgelord shit today, so it's unavoidable to sort of like not say some of the things that are going to be said. Um, kind of defeat the purpose of talking about them, so just a heads up, that's going to happen. You've been warned. All right. Um, the other thing I want to get out of the way right off the bat is if you are a listener to the show and you noticed this shit didn't come out last week, um, here's... Uh, the reason it's going to be a week late, um, and we'll catch up. Uh, if you've been a listener, there's a avid flow to this fucking show. Sometimes uh, <laughs> didn't get into podcasting to be on time for everything, but I will try to make a good shit. That's the uh, that's the pod damn guarantee. Okay, so <laughs> the reason the show's late is the same reason that the show exists at all, which is I'm fucking insane. I'm mentally ill, y'all. Um, I had a manic episode last week while, while uh, a bunch of things were going on, namely some dumb fucking beef in the comedy community. That's my least favorite phrase of all time. Um, <laughs> the uh, the made-up-ass uh, brotherhood of comedians that um, doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I was recording shit about it in real time and then kind of went off the rails for a couple days and blacked out and um, decided uh, this story didn't really make sense documentary-wise in real time. Um, So I didn't really upload, like, some of that shit, or I didn't think it fit to to give y'all as a product. Um, And then it hit me later on as I was uh, getting my shit together this week that this actually, this thing I want to talk about today, dovetails pretty nicely with uh with all this dumb fucking bullshit that if you're listening to this you're either privy to or don't give a fuck about 
Um, so I won't, I won't go into it too hard. But um, that's that's the reason we're talking about what we're talking about today. Um, and also, if you do want to hear me uh, fucking blacked out and uh, keyed up and uh, talking about local comedy politics, or not, lo- I mean, whatever, uh, somewhat local comedy politics, uh, then you can sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash poddamnamerica, which is the name of this show. Again, that's patreon.com slash poddamnamerica. Um, yeah, that's how we're advertising this now. Uh, a through line through uh, what I'm going to be talking about regarding some of this comedy shit is this is not a real industry. Uh, it shouldn't be, at least. It doesn't pay. Um, and so some people choose to make money in it by sort of like, um, you know, drumming up controversy by throwing their friends and coworkers under the bus by booking rapists and fascists and things like that in their little comedy venues and shows and shit. Um, me, I'm just going to talk shit and then put a, a, a link to a thing up there. And if you, if you want to know whether you were talked about on it, you can pay me $5 at patreon.com slash pod damn America. Patreon.com slash pod Um, <laughs> That's 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 what we came up with this week. We'll be right, you know, back to normal with interviews with smart people and shit soon. But um, but I don't know if this is like a a, a thing that happened in real time. Um, without go, you know paying too much credence to it and uh, dragging Twitter politics into our little show here. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but some people who why even you know some fucking libertarian uh, you know right wing shithead comedy types which is a thing in comedy um you know decided to book like alt light types at uh at venues that are liked by people in town here thus throwing everyone under the bus um the club owners fucked cuz you know they need to make money and also what are you going to do, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, the audience is, it's going to be a bunch of shitheads anyway. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, these people have basically been trying to use me as a way to advertise their show by uh, really ramping up the fucking online, you know, bullshit harassment and stuff. You guys, uh, I mean, I'm sure like a lot of you people that are listening to this are probably like the chuds that are obsessed with me. So, um, you know, thanks for your listens or whatever. Um, a lot of those people have been sending me pictures of our dead co-host um <laughs> and uh you know weird fucking like skull imagery and stuff and like uh um you know just like weird fucking slurs and shit uh so thanks <laughs> i don't know it's annoying uh, it's fucking stupid but it's also like have, did you see the logo of our show um i think about Raga every time i look at her fucking skull uh <laughs> God damn it. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, all these fucking coincided with uh, just a regular old fucking manic whoop-de-doo thing. And uh, I've since sort of, like, sobered up and put the pieces together and, and had a Monday. And, uh, and it occurred to me that this is all relevant to... Something I was already writing about anyway, and already preparing an episode on, um, you know, having these dumb interactions with like, with like the alt light, and uh, and the sort of like free speech dork, libertarian crowd side of 
fucking comedy and podcasting, you know, the O and A's and the seller crew and the fucking sniper and all that shit, which, uh, if you've, uh, if you've listened to our comedy episodes before we've discussed, we've gotten into this shit. We did the, a Nick DiPaolo episode and, you know, talked about why, you know, why this fucking thing exists. Um, and so I'm going to kind of build on some things we were talking about there, but, um, but it occurred to me a while back that this maybe isn't as obvious to the person out there at large as it, I guess, seems to me because of, you know, a difference in perspective. Um, what isn't obvious is the, the answer to the question, why do, why do the Chuds love Lenny Bruce? Why do the MAGA fuckheads, why do, you know, fucking basement virgins and shit, why do those people think that they are the uh, the rightful heirs to the the free speech warrior thing. <laughs> you know, why does this happen? Um, this occurred to me a while back when I was talking to a friend of mine about Carlin and Lenny Bruce and Bill Hicks or whatever, and I was talking about how ironic it is that so many of the people that claim to be, like, you know, real fucking heads, like, real big fans of those guys are, you know, chuds. Like, they're right-wing types or, like, Trump guys. Um... And then this person went, huh? And I went, oh, fuck, right. Not everyone has my perspective. Not everyone spent the last 12 years hanging out in dark bars with guys with fucking Rodney Dangerfield forearm tattoos and shit, um, dropping Doug Stanhope's name and pretending, like, cosplaying like we're on the forefront fucking lines of, you know, some sort of cultural battle for, uh, you know, for freedom of speech. <laughs> uh, it's really funny. It's really fucking funny how much these people, like, hate Antifa and, like, you know, will, you know, not entirely incorrectly criticize this, uh, you know, the the cosplay aspect of something like Antifa as being, like, as political cosplay while, you know, really projecting, like, their own anxiety about what they're doing onto it because it's, you know, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, these guys, by the way, fucking chuds, uh, Tim Dillon, Louis Gilman's leave fucking dorks. Um, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they all think Antifa is like a fucking, like a thing that's like after them, like a real threat. Um, one of these fucking dudes sent me a, a crazy email one time that was just like, you know, should these people be allowed to come to my show and shut me down? And, uh, you know, <laughs> like fucking shut down what I'm doing. I like guess if. As if doing stand-up for fucking heads is, like, is important, you know? <laughs> as if it's, like, a real thing. But also as if that's going to happen. Um, you know, as if someone's going to show up and throw a milkshake at you. And if they do, like, A, you're fucking asking for it. And B, you're a clown. You're a professional clown. I mean, I've done shows behind chicken wire fences and shit on purpose where the point is that people are going to throw shit at you and, you know, that makes sense. I'm doing this because I can't play guitar, you know? Uh, <laughs> this is not like a fucking uh, a respectable art form to be in with. It's, you're not like a hero up there, you know? People, it, you fucking get shit thrown at you. It's fun. Who cares? Um, <laughs> but uh, it's funny, man. These people also think like... I mean, there's one of these fucking dudes email me. He's like, what is what is the Antifa's goal? What are they to... Is it world domination, you know? And, like, part of the reason I started the show is because, like, people were saying shit that was that fucking dumb post-Charlottesville that I thought, oh, maybe, you know, maybe uh, rather than trying to talk to my Facebook friends uh, one group at a time, I should make a thing, you know? And it doesn't pay anymore to really 
be an independent journalist, or at least the way I was trying to do it. So I figured, oh fuck, okay, better than a Facebook post. We'll make a we'll make a tangible piece, you know, instead of pitching this to whatever, make my own platform. Right here we are. So, <laughs> so you know, as as you can tell from what I'm describing, I've had a back and forth with these people for a long time. I've had to deal with fucking shithead like, uh, you know, old aging white guy, you know polo shirt tucked into the Wrangler's cell phone on your hip shitty guys that think that they are the smartest person in the room because they you know read a reason.com article and and uh have like a basic eighth grade understanding of this thing called free speech right and it's really funny until it's sad and it's annoying and they run comedy and you go oh what fuck what is the point of you know of trying to do this or uh you know or trying to climb the ranks in this industry. I realize this is a lot. Okay, so <laughs> the reason I'm I'm talking about this is because I want to talk about Lenny Bruce. I want to talk about Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, Bill Hicks, uh, and from from there some other people. And um, and I want to answer the question: Why do MAGA chuds think that they are Lenny Bruce? Um, it's funny. It's one of those situations where you go. If this if this person actually met you, they would beat the shit out of you. But you think that they're your friend, you know. Um, and in order to draw this uh, image up to sort of uh, illustrate what I'm talking about, I want to talk about artistic movements a little bit. I want to talk about something I learned once upon a time in a fucking art history class in college. Ah. <sighs> I want to talk about something called the horse in motion. The horse in motion <laughs> is a photograph from 1878. It's actually a compilation of photographs. It's a um, a series of quickly taken photographs of a guy riding a horse. And it's the first time this has ever happened. This is, uh, this is how they capture, like, who won a horse race, you know? They have that really fast camera that takes, like, 30 pictures in a row, right, as soon as the horse crosses the finish line. The first time this has ever happened was in 1878. And um, I'll read you a little bit from the Wikipedia page here. Uh, the Horse in Motion, a.k.a. Sally Gardner at a Gallop, I guess that was the name of the horse, is a series of photographs consisting of a galloping horse. The result of a photographic experiment by, this is a real motherfucking name, Edward Muybridge. Okay. E-A-D-W-E-A-R-D. That's how this dude spelled the name Edward. (laughs) Muybridge. M-U-I. Bridge. Or in Spanish, very much bridge. I don't know. So... This happened in June of 1878, and, um, you know, it's basically like a flip book all put together. It's a bunch of quick photographs of a horse. Um, it consists of 24 photographs shot in rapid succession that were shown on something called a zoopraxiscope. And uh, <laughs> it was uh, shown around and commissioned by this guy who's a, a fucking industrial whatever. Um zoopraxiscope is essentially like a you you rotate it really fast and it makes flipbook shit happen um this is like funny turn of the century technology um 
it's interesting. It existed around a time when uh, when all this stuff was new. Photographic technology, you know, rapid succession photography. Uh, another thing that was happening around this time is something known as phantasmagoria, which is a, uh, a practice where ba- basically what you would do if you were a phantasmagorist, or however you say that, is you would uh, travel around from, you know, western mining town to mining town uh, with this projector, which is a thing that no one had seen yet. This is, you know, right around the time of, like, uh, movies be, you know, becoming a thing. So the first person that ever had a projector just traveled around with it and um, told ghost stories and, you know, would gather people in a tavern, turn the lights off, tell a ghost story, kick on the projector, project an image of someone walking around on the wall. Holy shit, everyone freaks out, right? You make a bunch of money. You skip town on one of those little push carts uh, with your top hat flailing in the wind. Some woman tied to the tracks and shit. You know, shit like that. Right, so... uh, (laughs) The reason this story is important is because all these things were changing rapidly. More rapidly than uh, they'd ever changed before. And they caused these big watershed moments in consciousness, in, like, um, the collective social understanding of what... Uh, it, it, like just basic parts of reality to change faster than they ever had before. Namely, with the horse in motion, um, the most important part of the story of the horse in motion is that the reason they took this photograph was uh, to settle a bet between some people who were arguing over whether a horse, when it's running, ever has all four feet off the ground at the same time. Now, if you actually try to watch this with uh, you know, the naked eye, it's imperceptible. and Or at least up until that point, it was. Um, and the reason it's imperceptible is because it's, like, it's like faster than you can really comprehend. So you needed a camera to, to deconstruct it. What's interesting about this is that after they took these photographs and permeated the evidence that indeed sometimes a horse is in the air with all four of its hooves off the ground, coupled up beneath it, suddenly everyone understood this. The, uh, the idea, the image of a horse galloping permeated throughout art, culture, movies, you know, fucking published uh, print, etc., and now you can imagine what that looks like with your mind's eye. Right? It's pretty interesting. Um, you can you can see the Deftones sticker on the back of a truck. That image, horse kind of galloping. Right? Uh, the Montucky fucking tall can blue beer. The uh, cover of Old Town Road. The horse with its feet all right. But people before this couldn't. And the evidence of that is, you know, years and years and years of fine art like commissioned art by, you know, aristocracy, monarchy, all this shit. All these old paintings that predate this photographic experiment show horses jumping around like kittens, basically, with, like, the front paws operating as one thing and the back paws operating as, you know, so, like, they're kind of, like, pouncing like a cat. It's really funny to look at these old paintings now. Um... Because what you know now is that they all four legs like operate independent of each other, um, and the reason this is important is because you know what this is is a, a watershed moment where an entire 
society's understanding of something changes at the same time, which is a thing that happens in visual art, and to a further extent, is a thing that I think we can see happening in something as dumb as stand-up comedy, but... I don't know. We might have, like, <laughs> I guess what I'm going to get at is, like, it might have stopped happening, <laughs> like, recently. Um, we'll get back to it. More important to this is uh, the story of Lenny Bruce, who is a comedian who, throughout his life, had a relationship with this state regarding free speech and obscenity um he's all sorts of things uh since he's a comedian from a long time ago he's not really relevant to stand up unless you're talking about an historical sense like this um if you're curious about him don't listen to his records they won't make sense they're about topical things from the you know the 60s um, or the 50s, if you go back even further. Um, if you do want to understand him, I would recommend watching Lenny, which is the uh, 1974 autobiographical film in which he is portrayed by Dustin Hoffman. Um, I, I like the film a lot. I think it does a really good job of telling the story in a way that even now is still understandable. It's shot in stark black and white. Dustin Hoffman plays him great. And... He does something that's really hard to do with stand-up, which is that as an actor, he he does some bits, and they selectively pick bits that work in the story and also are still relevant. Um, <laughs> if you put on a Lenny Bruce record, he's going to be talking about like Spiro Agnew's fucking dog or something. It's not going to make any sense. But the 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 more just like basic, uh, you know, shit where he's talking about sex and human nature and politics and stuff like that, um, it's you know. Some of it is evergreen, all right? So uh, that movie's it's pretty good. I Check it out. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm going to sort of go through his life story in a second. The first thing I'm going to do, though, is play a bit from that movie, which they pretty much copied verbatim and performed verbatim, um, which is something that got me thinking about this altogether recently regarding the subversive nature of irony and uh, whether it still plays a fucking role, you know, or whether it's doing what we think it's doing. Um, and the bit is something that moved me a lot when I first saw it, and I still think that it it explains the nature of, uh, of like, comedy in a way. And, uh, you know, taboo words and vulgarity and, like, and irony on purpose. Um, and it's a bit where he's talking about the N-word and and sort of shocking people with all these racial slurs and then sort of uh, explaining, hey, when you when you, you use these words, they don't have as much power, right? I'll play it right now and we'll talk about it. Um, again, just to reiterate before we go into this clip, this is where the dude says the N-word like a million times. So... If you're listening to this at work, don't let the headphones slip out of your phone or computer right now. Um, and also, if you don't want to hear this, yeah, don't listen to the next couple of minutes of this podcast. Okay. 
you turn on the house lights, please? And uh, could the waiters and waitresses just stop serving just for a second yeah, and turn off the spot? Now, what did he say? Are there any niggers here tonight? I know there's one nigger here because I see him back there working. Let's see. There's two niggers. And between those two niggers sits a kike. And there's another kike. That's two kikes and three niggers. And there's a spick. Right? Hmm? There's another spick. Ooh, there's a wop, there's a Polak, and a, oh, a couple of grease balls. <laughs> and there's three lace curtain Irish mix. And there's one hip, thick, hunky, funky, boogie. Boogie, boogie. Mm -hmm. I got three kikes here. Do I hear five kikes? I got five kikes. Do I hear six picks? I got six picks. Do I hear seven niggers? I got seven niggers. Sold American. <laughs> I passed with seven niggers, six picks, five nicks, four kikes, three guineas, and one wop. You almost punched me out, didn't you? <laughs> well, I was just trying to make a point, and that is that it's the suppression of the word that gives it the power, the violence, the viciousness. Dick. If President Kennedy would just go on television and say, I'd like to introduce you to all the niggers in my cabinet, <laughs> and if he'd just say, nigger, 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 every nigger he saw, boogie, 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 nigger, 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 till nigger didn't mean anything anymore, then you'd never be able to make some six-year-old black kid cry because somebody called him a nigger in school. <laughs>
and um, it stuck with me and often uh, in defense of my friends that are you know on the fucking more irony poisoned side of comedy is something that comes up and um, I don't know I want to get to the bottom of it I'm not really sure how I feel about it anymore but um, <laughs> and the reason I say that the reason is what was interesting to me is I was thinking about this a while back and so I looked it up on YouTube to watch it and the comment section was very telling um, one of the first comments you'll see if you google this and you find the same clip as me is uh four months ago someone saying owen benjamin sent me here you go what the fuck (laughs) why is owen benjamin going around sharing this this thing this piece of wisdom with people right owen benjamin being an openly like fucking you know right wing or alt-right rather fucking comedian someone who's who's trying to pander to the reactionary crowd and be a fucking alt-white guy and make Miley Annapolis money or whatever um, because things weren't working out being a regular comedian. Um, <laughs> so, also, if you don't know who that is, like, look him up. It's hilarious. He got banned from an entire town. Uh, well, Owen Benjamin sent me here. That's fucking weird. And then if you keep scrolling down, you'll see these other these points of view that are very telling. People saying... Um, you know, this is when the left had it right. Uh, now they're a bunch of fucking pussies. Now they're a bunch of, you know, campus culture triggered fucking whatever, right? Um, <laughs> so you go, wow, why are these fucking reactionary alt-right shitheads identifying so hard with this thing? You know, the irony being that Lenny Bruce is like a beatnik. He's like a, like an outspoken supporter of civil rights, you know, uh, a leftist, um, anti-war, a lot of things that these people aren't. We can get into that, and there's some things that a lot of these people are on some level anti-war. Fucking weird. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so in order to understand that, I think we should do a little history lesson, a little walk through the years, um, tracking his life and his relationship with free speech and uh, the state. All right, so Lenny Bruce was this guy who was kicked out of the Navy in 1945 for performing like a drag show for his uh, his what roommates, whatever the fuck you call it when you're in a boat, um, <laughs> and it was like a comedic thing, like he was just trying to get a rise out of him, I guess. Um, you know, gets kicked out, maybe he got maybe he did it on purpose to get discharged, I don't know. Um, but he then moves to New York and decides to pursue stand-up comedy. His mother is this woman named Sally Marr, who's a stage performer, and uh, she starts getting him gigs and stuff, you know. And uh, he's then a young comedian, not different from all these idiots I hang out with, Um, but it's, you know, fucking 60 years ago. Um, 70 years ago, I guess, at this point. So... He's now, I guess, the person that's being portrayed in The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which I haven't seen. Uh, I heard it's good. I haven't watched it. I'll get around to it, but I, it's it's hard to get comics to watch, you know, crashing and shit. Shows about comedy. They get it all get all this stuff wrong. It's annoying. But I've heard it's good. And uh, I have friends that write on it. And, uh, you know, we'll someday support them. 
by illegally downloading that show. Okay, so um, <laughs> so he's you know he's living this you know this uh, young comedian's life, and um, it's interesting. I've been thinking about him a lot because you know I've been getting into these arguments with these so-called like free speech guys who are comedians who have podcasts and radio shows and stuff and are sort of constantly framing themselves as being you know victims of censorship and persecuted by free speech and we'll get into this like later the kind of main point I'm going to get at is that um there is a difference between being persecuted by the state and uh not having anyone come to your concert right <laughs> um the the state versus the market are like two entirely separate things um but i was thinking about lenny bruce a lot because it's like he's this fucking old-timey guy and you know when i with you can't really get out of this without without bringing this up and i'm not going to try to dwell on this or cash in on it too hard because it's like i'm exhausted i'm tired of fucking talking about this but a year ago i had a homeland security come to my apartment over a joke and then you know shit got taken down off the internet and it was threatened by the state and all this stuff and uh <laughs> and that is a far cry from getting fired from like a you know a tv network or a radio network because they don't think you're profitable anymore um and so it's really fucking weird that i get into these these arguments with these like these right like alt-right comedian types over who's being more unfairly treated because like that should happen to me and honestly i still feel pretty free to say whatever the fuck i want um <laughs> so like if i if i feel free then you're fucking fine right um but i've been thinking about him a lot because he you know he also was was censored by the state to a much further degree um and also liked bad music and uh <laughs> and drugs um young lenny bruce is really interesting uh he's really funny somewhat irrelevant but we'll talk about his life a little bit he uh you know developed his act by hanging out in jazz clubs and all sorts of different venues and um and kind of going off you'll see this if you hang around comedians a lot of times there's a point where a lot of guys break and they're like i'm done doing one-liners i'm gonna fucking tell the truth right well that's a cliche now and it's fucking annoying but you know this maybe could be understood to be one of the first people that ever did it and i tell everybody what a nice person you were too <laughs> i think that a lot of marriages went west you know they went split up uh my generation, because ladies didn't know that guys were different. I mean, different, it's very tough for chicks to realize that, that although we speak the same language, that you're, you can have babies. It's different. You're so, it's like no guy ever cheated on his wife, ever. But ladies would get hurt and want to leave the husbands because they thought the husband's cheated, and they never did cheat, because what cheating means, I know, to a lady, means kissing and hugging and liking somebody. You have to at least like somebody. Guys, that doesn't enter into it all the time, no. Ladies are one emotion, and guys detach, not consciously detach, but they just do detach. Like, a lady can't go through a plate glass window and go to bed with you five seconds later. 
But guys can have head-on collisions with Greyhound buses in disaster areas. Everybody's laying dead on the highway. Not only the hospital, in the ambulance, the guy makes play for the nurse. How could he do a thing at a time like that? Well, I got horny. So what? You're hot. How could you be hot when your foot was cut off and you're dead? I don't know. He's an animal! He got hot with his foot cut off. I guess I'm an animal. What did you get hot at? The nurse's uniform. It's a moron, that's all. It's just an animal. No, it's... Guys detach and has nothing to do with them liking, loving. You put guys on a desert island, they'll do it to mud. Mud. So if you caught your husband with mud, somehow you could get overseas there. Mud! Don't talk to me, that's all. You piece of shit, you'll leave me alone, that's all. Go with your mud, have fun. You want dinner, get your mud to make dinner for you, that's all. Uh, that was Lenny. This next thing is Patrice O'Neill, just to sort of illustrate the evergreen nature of the, uh, the shit he was, you know, doing at the time. Like, make it so women just, like, understand a little bit of, like, just to sympathize. It's like we're, we're like sport fishermen. This is what I'm saying. Men like to fish. And sport fishing is different from catching fish for food. You just get it, you get it, you catch it, and you, you know, you, you show your friends. <laughs> Because you want them to know that you, you can catch fish. You take a couple of pictures so you can show people the fish that you have the ability to catch. And then you release it back into the water. But a lot of women in here, you have boyfriends or husbands. You a fish that jump back on the boat. And just was like flapping, looking at me like... Hi, uh, I was wondering if you're going to be fishing here again next week. Like, Yeah, for other fish. Get off my boat. Is that how you treat all the fish? You'd be like, oh, God damn. Nope, I'm sorry, sweetie. You're the last fish I ever wanted to be with. Now you're stuck. You're stuck. What was happening, I think, was that Around the late 40s and through the 50s, this guy was um, finding himself unwelcome in certain venues. The more he started to, to do stream of consciousness shit, which you can probably tie to hanging out with jazz performers, he um, you know he would just go off into talking about sex and filthy stuff and taboo shit and like racism and things like that, as you know you heard in the clip before. Um, because of that. He switched venues. Comedy happened in, you know, upscale nightclubs, but it also happened in, like, burlesque halls and strip clubs and shit and, like, uh, you know, weird old-timey rooms where the mobs in there smoking cigars and stuff. And uh, <laughs> and so he found himself reacting to his book ability and hanging out and working in strip clubs and, like, uh, you know, dating and eventually marrying a dancer. And... um. And then he, you know, 
he he lived the fucking life that so many of us are living, which is not he didn't you know get rich. He's fucking piecing shit together and uh, scraping by and working as much as he can. And um, you know, this is, all, this is also a story about somebody from fucking the 1950s. So like, as much as I think this is kind of weird and lame, um, how much can you indict the person for it? Uh, <laughs> he there's one story that's really funny in 1951. Because he wanted, he was trying to to scrape up enough money to keep his wife from having to, you know, to strip. He started just committing like side hustles, just like scams. One of them involved posing as a Catholic priest named Brother Matthias, while telling people that he was raising money for a leper colony, <laughs> which, uh, according to his own semi-autobiographical memoirs, he gave like half the money to. And then kept. Uh, and they busted him, but he never got formally indicted for it because of uh, some legal loophole where he could prove that he gave them some of the money. Although he was caught, found guilty of um, stealing, like, a priest uniform. Pretty pretty fucking cool, right? Um, so anyway, Lenny Bruce, right? Hangs out, does comedy. He's roommates with Buddy Hackett in the 1950s, writes screenplays for a living. They form a duo called Not Ready for Primetime Players, right? If that name sounds familiar, that's the name of the uh, the original cast of Saturday Night Live. They like used that name 20 years later in the 70s. Um, and eventually he becomes this this taboo, like edgy comedian, right? Comedy at the time was a number of different things. It was... Um, it was... How do I explain this without sort of spoiling the story? I mean... The Marx Brothers are not far from this time. Um, a lot of ethnic humor is still very acceptable. Um, a lot of comedy is, you know, just impressions, which at the time were maybe considered hacky. And then this guy comes and he causes a, a paradigm shift, a watershed moment, right? He uh, he starts talking about, like, fucking and shit and, like, uh, talking about it in a really clever, funny way. And he's controversial and you know people that are like cool start to become into Lenny Bruce right he's like a fucking favorite of like you know there's a reason like Frank Zappa released his shit later on um he's out with musicians so you know he decides to start talking about these things and he goes against the grain of what is normal and what is acceptable in comedy at the time and Eventually, this culminates in a reputation and this thing where he can only be seen in these like seedy clubs, and you know, eventually he releases an album called "The Sick Humor of Lenny Bruce." Right? Um, <laughs> this is something that sounds so fucking hacky in retrospect, but it only sounds hacky because when someone does something that interesting, then everyone fucking mimics them, and then you know, then they, in retrospect, they suck. Um, but I think historically, you know, that's, that's a pretty cool thing that happened in the fifties. Um, yeah, I mean, he, another thing to be said about this stream of consciousness thing that he sort of came upon and developed and a lot of comedians find themselves coming upon is that like he at the time could be argued to have derived it from the beatniks and shit he was hanging out with. Um, it's similar to the automatic writing process that like William S. Burroughs sort of, you know, made famous. Um, I don't know. There's a lot to be said here. But what's interesting 
is a little later on, he starts getting in trouble for obscenity, right? Uh, in 1961, he's arrested in San Francisco for saying cocksucker on stage. Later on in Philadelphia, he's arrested for possession of, like, narcotics, probably marijuana, fucking morphine or something. Um, in L.A., he's dragged off stage by the cops for calling someone a schmuck, <laughs> which is Yiddish for dick, I guess. Which is really funny. Um, because that you could say that in, like, a cartoon now or whatever. Um, a quick note on obscenity. It's really interesting. Is it, You know, we're going to talk about this and, like, Carlin and stuff a little bit. But, uh, obscenity also changes with time. Um, if you ever, as long as we're talking about the word cocksucker, if you've ever seen the show Deadwood, it's uh, sort of famous for this character Al Swearingen, the barkeep, calling everyone cocksuckers and motherfuckers and shit. And uh, you know he's this awesome, intensely foul-mouthed, you know, offensive character. But a uh, little-known fact about that show is that you know, it's written ab- about about the the cowboy days, the the fucking Red Dead Redemption days, right? And um, when they wrote the original script of that show, they uh, they researched what the characters would actually talk like to make it historically accurate. And um, there are, I guess, two types of curse words in recent English history. There's the scatological, which is what all these dudes are talking about, cocksucker, motherfucker, all that shit, and uh, the blasphemous. If you never thought about this, it's kind of interesting. There's, like, it's bad to say damn and hell and heathen and all this shit, right? Bastard is, like, another one. Um, so apparently during the Deadwood days, you know, during the time and place that Deadwood is actually based on, all the curse words people would use were, were blasphemous curse words. So they shot the fucking first episode apparently with Al Swearage and calling everyone darn tootin', you know, heathens and naysayers and evildoers and shit. And uh it just sucked. <laughs> so they made a decision to 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 like change it to just make on purpose a historical anachronism where he's like he's a fucking like he talks like he's from now and he's trying to piss someone off. Because otherwise the show wouldn't have the same weight. Anyway, that's just an entire, that's just a footnote I wanted to jam in there. Um, but back to Lenny Bruce and his fucking dealings with the law, right? He starts getting arrested, um, dragged off stage by the police and shit. And, um, you know, sort of lends itself further to his his identity as an iconoclast. So, um, this culminates in 1964 in... An evening at the Cafe Agogo in Greenwich Village, where Lenny Bruce is uh, formally arrested for uh, you know the ultimate, the umpteenth time. The police at this point had been uh, following around, yada yada yada. In New York, they decide to send undercover police to this show at Cafe Agogo, and um, the cops shut down the show. Um, he says something interesting. He says, "Show's over, folks," which is then understood to be. Uh, like a double speak thing where he's making fun of the way cops talk. Crazy, right? Um, they arrest Lenny and also the club owners. Um, this is interesting because the cl- the owners of a lot of clubs at this time by the by this point in Lenny Bruce's career, mainstream clubs all over the country wouldn't book him. Uh, and it 
wasn't because they were worried about their ticket prices. It was because they were worried about getting shut down by the fucking state, right? The police were just showing up and breaking up all this fucking dude's shows. Um, <laughs> so he's arrested. The club owners are arrested. There's a six-month celebrity trial. All three are found guilty. He's sentenced to four months in a workhouse. This is in 1964. You could be sentenced to four months in a workhouse for, you know, free labor, <laughs> forced labor by the American government for, uh, you know, for saying cocksucker and shit, right? Um, you know, he gets out on bail. He's still performing. And uh, the end of Lenny Bruce's career is really, you know, sad. Um, he's basically driven kind of crazy by the whole experience. Gets very paranoid. Um, gets further into drugs, and um, they say like the late era Lenny is is this thing where you'd go watch him and he'd just be like muttering and uh, insane and obsessed with uh, his trial, and he'd be reading the transcripts from his trial on stage, which at first is like a bit, and then after a while it just takes up the whole show, and you go, "What the fuck is this?" Right? Um, I think that like the 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 initial the initial bit of what he's talking about is kind of funny where he's like he's describing himself as a comedian being in the situation where when you have to go to the court they read your material very clinically and sterilely and then you stand there and you go you know I think his line was like they're fucking butchering my bits right and then it makes everyone reflect on the nature of irony and go yeah jokes are not literal fucking things uh, this guy's you know <laughs> he's not being indicted because of the meaning of what he's saying he's being indicted because of like the the literal interpretation of it um it's pretty fucked up right um anyways he dies while he's out on bail in 1966 they find him in his apartment with a needle in his arm burnt thing of morphine um apparently there was a typewriter in the room, which was like, uh, you know, he's halfway through writing some weird conspiracy theory. It's pretty sad stories, but he died midway through, uh, you know, this this court case, which he later was, you know, posthumously pardoned for um, in like 2010 in New York. It was like the first time that's ever happened here. Um, so it's interesting, you know, some of his bits are evergreen he's got all this great stuff about like the na- the the you know the, the nature of like gender roles and stuff which can be echoed later on in like patrice o'neill's stand-up um people like that this obviously is like an architect of the whole fucking thing we're doing um <laughs> but um but it begs a question you know why do chuds think they are this guy? Because this is not an isolated thing. He's very anti the state, but that also means at the time in the 1960s being anti, you know, a lot of things that Republicans identify with. Um, and so to continue drawing this line, another thing that's important to understand. Oh shit! Fucking somebody just draws something. <clears throat> okay, I'm back. Uh, somebody knocked some shit over in the living room. I thought, I thought somebody had broken something. Uh, nope, everything's fine. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Uh, during the heyday, where this guy Lenny Bruce was getting arrested, dragged out of shows by the cops uh, and everything, um, 
you know, his audience is a bunch of young hippies and stuff. And one night in one of the audiences, there is this guy who is, you know, just some smart ass um, and who's, uh, I can't remember if he's drinking underage or not or whatever, but um, the cops come in and they bust some person for underage drinking. They go around, they cart everybody else. He answers to the police. I don't believe in ID or some weird hippie shit like that. Bing, bang, boom. This is how George Carlin, a young George Carlin, ends up in a paddy wagon with uh, Lenny Bruce, right? So this this thing is directly handed down between these two people. Interesting moment in history. Cool, right? Um, and then suddenly this policeman stood up, and I believe he actually said the words, okay, folks, the show is over, which, of course, is a cliche that policemen use just at a killing, you know, in a bar. They'll, you, when the get, crowd is getting, they want to break up the crowd. Okay, the show's over, the show's over. He actually said it in context. Show's over, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody have a seat. They began to check people's IDs. And they, they, they had the people leave the club through the only door, the upstairs only door, uh, one by one show their ID. Because basically what they wanted to do was to catch someone underage so they could give the tr- club trouble. Um, and they found this girl, apparently, I guess she was 15 or something, I forget now, but um, in, in checking everyone, uh, Vince and I just kept drinking our beers and, uh, and, and all the beer we could get because the upstairs bar was right there, the service bar was in there. Uh, by the, you know, it was good and juiced by the time we got to us and we purposely waited to be almost the last people just to watch all this going on. So when I got to the door and the police was there, ID, you want to see your ID? I said, I don't believe in ID. You know, just a smart-ass Irish guy, a little drunk, who didn't like authority anyway, you know, and didn't really care much for regulations my whole life. So I always give him hard, give him some shit, you know. So I said, I don't believe in ID. So he was a little exasperated by this point, this policeman, I guess he was in plainclothes. And he sort of grabbed me by the collar of the suit and, and you know, the baggy pants of my ass and kind of bum-rushed me down the stairs, you know, kind of forcing me down the stairs and on my way out. And, so, and downstairs, there was a place that you'd pass through, and on, on the left, there were two little portals that led into the bar area and the cocktail lounge area. And I knew Brenda was in there. So as they're rushing me past that, I said, I said, tell Brenda I'm going to jail. And I got outside into a paddy wagon, an old-fashioned, regular paddy wagon. This writer from Swank magazine was in there. And uh, I, I really don't remember if Lenny was in there because he said, what are you here? Yeah, I think, I guess he must have been because he, he probably said to me, what are you here for? And I said, ah, I didn't give him my ID. And he said, hey, you don't be a schmuck, you know. George Carlin goes on to become someone who, you know, who carries on a lot of the things that Lenny Bruce talked about. Um namely, you know, speech, freedom of speech, all these fucking things. And now I know all these fucking dumbasses with like fedoras and shit and tattoos of George Carlin. Um, <laughs> George Carlin, most famous for this bit called the seven daddy, uh, seven fucking, uh, seven dirty words you can't see on TV, right? Um, the seven words that you can't see on TV, this being the, you know, this core bit for a long time in his career are shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Um, everyone knows these seven dirty words. Maybe you don't. I don't know. I heard this shit when I was a kid and I was like, oh, this is badass. But not everyone was raised on 
stand-up comedy. Um, anyways, this uh, this is his sort of flagship, you know, closer. It's the thing that brings down the house. Carlin is, you probably know who he is. Uh, he was a big stand-up comedian in the 70s. Um, and, you know, he goes on to carry this sort of tradition on into the 70s. Then something happens. Again, we could talk a lot about the life of George Carlin, but um, you know, just to reiterate, leftist but right wing people like them for some reason doesn't make any sense. Um, a lot of what George Carlin was talking about was like, was, you know, in some on some level like Marxist shit. He's talking about the atomization, the way they, they keep you working and stuff like that. And then also a lot of times he was just scatting. He did all sorts of fucking crazy shit. Um, near the end he was just talking about people fucking dying. Um, calling people cocksuckers. Uh, <laughs> but important part of the story here is his tango with the FCC and the Supreme Court. So at one point, a guy named John Douglas, an active member of a group called Morality in Media, claimed that he heard the WBAI broadcast while driving with his then 15-year-old son and complained to the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, that the material was inappropriate for the time of day being 2 p.m. Um, this caused the FCC to embroil Carlin in a uh, you know an ongoing long complicated supreme case that went all the way to the Supreme Court and then was resolved um, basically in a win for free speech for the First Amendment right this literally went to the Supreme Court it was decided and sort of compromised in a in a decision that. Um, that related all this to tech, like terrestrial radio and television and the monoculture, the, you know, the idea that media like TV and radio and shit is, comes to you and it's on in your house and you have a little nuclear family and your kids are there. Right. And so part of the ruling at the end of this long fucking court case that I won't read all the way through because, you know, who cares, um, is they decided that there would be a, let's see, let me find the words here, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., that's what it was, there was a, <laughs> there's, they carved up the fucking day into, uh, into like two sections one where you could say offensive words and one where you couldn't. So it was like this weird half victory for curse words, vulgarity and shit. And that is why Sipowitz was allowed to show his ass on NYPD Blue. I think I'm getting that right. Um, you know, in the 90s, there was a cop show where, like, one of the fat cop Danny DeVito guys showed his ass. It's because it had went into implement implementation after 10 p.m. You can do things that you can't normally do on TV and on the radio and shit. And <laughs> this, I would say, is the watershed moment. This is this is the the horse, the photograph of the horse. This is the thing that changes everything. And I think it's important to isolate that this is where everything changed because 
the implication from a lot of these fucking chuds is that they're still fighting this fight that Carlin is fighting, right? Um, and the thing that I think is clear in their misunderstanding of the difference between their fight and Carlin and Lenny Bruce's fight is um, has to do with the state, right? Because George Carlin and Lenny Bruce were fighting against the state. I'm not going to go into Bill Hicks and Doug Stanhope for more than a couple sentences. A lot of comedy nerds who are uh, consider themselves, you know, quote unquote, truth tellers, consider the truth teller tradition of stand up comedy to have been a thing that was passed from Lenny Bruce to Carlin, then later on to Bill Hicks. And then to like people like Stanhope and like Louis C.K. and now look at fucking Louis C.K. as a right wing chud, right? Um, <laughs> or at least he's like pandering to them, and you know. Then this goes all the way to fucking Nick DiPaolo, and uh, it goes even further to these people's opening acts, who are people that I avoid eye contact with when I see them at comedy clubs. Um, <laughs> and it comes all the way back around to me, bitch. So, um, you know, the truth teller thing, you can sort of. Uh, you could sort of draw through people like Bill Hicks, but he wasn't talking about, he wasn't interacting with like society in the same way as Bruce and Carlin were. I'll talk about this more in the future. Um, it would be, it wouldn't make sense to, to jam all this shit in here. Um, because Hicks is more, he was just fighting with comedy. He was like a like he was like a punk band that writes punk music about the scene, you know, or the thing itself of performing. Um, okay, whatever. Moving on. Um, so, what happens, right? George Carlin has this landmark court case where suddenly the rules of what you're allowed to say on TV have to be assessed. Now, backing up a little bit. Let's see if I can find it. There we go. Um, let's talk a little bit about the context in which Lenny Bruce started this fight, right? I'm going to read a little bit um, from an article in Vice written way back in the ancient year of 2015 by my pal Josh Androsky about um, comedy at the time. <laughs> and uh, I guess it wasn't that long ago. It was like four years ago. But it seems like a million years ago to read about this and, and think that like back in 2015 when Josh wrote this article, Jerry Seinfeld was s still complaining that far back about political correctness and these fucking things that these guys seem to understand to be this huge impediment on them. These millionaire ass, you know, comedians. Jerry Seinfeld and well, you know, Tim Allen, all these old fucking shitty guys, right? Um, this article I'll link to in the comments is called Modern Comedians Complaining About the PC Police Are Crybabies. <laughs> um, I think it's true. So, in this article, 
Josh reads from a book called uh, by Cliff Nesteroff. Uh, the book's called The Comedians, Drunks, Thieves, Scoundrels, and the History of American Comedy. Um, I'll read from it in a little bit on upcoming podcasts. It looks pretty good. I'm only a little bit way into it. But he talks about the context in which Lenny Bruce existed and why Lenny Bruce being cited by people that considered themselves to be fighting against the PC police is a little spurious, right? Here are some stories from around the same time, um, or even predating Lenny Bruce. Uh, burlesque comedian, comedian Jimmy Savo was arrested by plainclothesmen in 1942 after an organization called the Catholic Theater Movement complained about his performance at the New York Ambassador Theater. The summit said the show violates the penal law prohibiting indecency on the stage. Um, comedians Mickey Diamond and Jack High were arrested for obs- Mickey Diamond and Jack High were obsessed for uh, uh, arrested for obscenity in 1946 in Philadelphia. They were removed from the stage at the Silver Fleet Inn and held on bail. Um, Marty Wayne had problems with a Philadelphia judge who said nightclub operators should compel comedians to submit scripts before allowing them to go on. An arresting officer read portions of Wayne's act, and Judge McDevitt called the material an affront to public morals. Uh, the details have yet to surface, but the charge of "quote unquote" lewd entertainment. Um, oh, but for that charge, Wayne served six months in prison. Six fucking months in prison, right? In 1949, Lenny Ross was arrested in Atlantic City on charges of being "quote unquote" smutty. The state. Department demanded Ross be dismissed and barred from working based on previous convictions for using blue material and obscene language in his act, for which he served a prison term. Ross told the judge, I only resorted to smut because patrons demanded it. <laughs> so, what's interesting, and what's talked about a little bit in this article and in this book, is that, um, you know, around this time that this, this thing was happening, that Lenny Bruce is this iconoclast, something that's not really explained in most biographical understandings of the guy is that, um, you know, he wasn't the only one. Um, oftentimes movements like this are embodied by one person, at least in history. He was fucking cool. He was, you know, the main guy. And so it's, uh, it can be, you, you can get seduced into thinking like this one guy smashed his whole fucking thing, but people were fucking shit up all over the place. And, they were fucking shit up in reaction to each other. And something I think that a lot of like like free speech MAGA chud dorks don't understand is that a lot of these motherfuckers were getting in trouble for fighting basically SJW fights. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the Marx Brothers notably gotten a lot of shit for fighting against like racial caricatures. Right before World War One, racial characters were the height of comedy. Um, <laughs> you know, you would do uh, blackface, you would do Jewface, you would do all these ethnic stereotypes. And uh, post World War Two, there was a bit of a watershed moment, and uh, people started to kind of to kind of move past that and go, well, at least the audience doesn't want it anymore. Maybe this isn't okay. Yada yada yada. Um, and comedians who didn't want to adapt and didn't want to advance and listen and adjust their material and keep working at what they were doing fought back against it and would say, would make arguments like, you know, well, 
no one has a problem with the Swedish character I do, right? And you would go, well, yeah, it's because Swedish people are not, <laughs> you know, they're not being persecuted in any way in this country right now. Uh, so, you know, no one really cares. It's not the same thing. It doesn't carry the same weight. Um, it's It's kind of... It's irrelevant to like what Lenny Bruce is talking about in the N-word bit, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they would get in fucking fistfights and get dragged off of stage and all this shit. Um, but the most important thing, the reason I'm bringing up all these these arrests is that uh, there is there's a glaring fucking detail here that is inconsistent with modern, like, Nick DePaulo-esque comedians' persecution complex and these stories and that is the involvement of the state all right so there's a mass difference between being arrested and held in prison by the government and people just not liking you and uh maybe you getting you know losing it like a tv show or something or fucking you know a job on serious radio or people just not coming to your fucking show um, or just people just saying you fucking suck, right? Uh, <laughs> that's what's so fucking weird about about the the alt right, especially right now, having this persecution complex and considering themselves to be um, to be part of the tradition of what Lenny Bruce and George Carlin were talking about doesn't make any sense. It's fucking weird, right? Um, so, let's try to answer the question. Why do the Chuds love Lenny Bruce, right? Why do the Chuds love George Carlin? Well, if you ask me, uh, it's kind of interesting because you would think they have it would have like a more modern reference point for what they're talking about, but I think it's kind of telling that they really don't. Um, nobody in the world of uh, conservative comedy at this point really embodies these values in any meaningful way. Nobody really is cool. Even the people that do consider themselves to be embodying these values and do have fan bases are like, you know, ma- like babies, like fucking, you know, guys in like Dickies shorts that look like they're uh, this close to getting sponsored for skateboarding or whatever, like fuck shitheads, you know? Uh, nobody's as cool as Lenny Bruce. <laughs> Why do you have to reach back that far? Well, let's look at some facts, right? Um, in order to sort of align yourself with these, this arc, this upward arc of uh, of iconoclasm in the and uh, you know and fucking shit up, like society wise, legally, then you kind of have to stop shortly after Carlin's FCC case because in order to imagine that there is a free speech war going on which is so often the the line the uh, narrative that these people will give you you have to conflate free speech as a thing that is under attack legally with free speech that is a thing that, that you consider to be under attack like just just culturally um 
you you can't really see a difference between the cops coming and dragging someone off stage and uh and you not getting booked essentially that's why it's aggrieved shitty white guys that have this perspective most of the time but sometimes you can be a person of color or woman or gay or whatever and be so fucking bad at this and so mentally ill that you're also aggrieved in the same way <laughs> um in order to believe the you know the the narrative that free speech is under attack in the way that these people would have you believe you'd have to ignore the fact that after Carlin after these you know FCC laws went into effect there was a watershed moment there was a moment when society saw the horse with all four feet of its all four of its feet off the ground so to speak um there really after this wasn't an entire society-wide cultural taboo against cursing or at least it wasn't on the rise it, it was very much on the you know on the 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 fall after this obviously there were still uptight people conservative people church-minded people there were still Ned Flanders in the world but as a general trend you uh, you could greatly increased your ability to say, you know, naughty things on TV. From 2005 to 2010, primetime profanity increased by, check it out, 69%, right? Um, (laughs) This is around the time that, like, South Park became a thing. To understand culture as being under attack and, uh, and free speech as being under attack, you would have to ignore the existence of shit like South Park, which not only had, you know, a huge audience, um, but also basically free reign to do whatever the fuck it wanted. Um, This is why you can't conflate these two things. You know, vulgarity, profanity, offensive ideas changed from being something that was illegal to just something that you know, maybe not not be liked by a hundred percent of the people, and that's why you you look at the people who are so aggrieved by this, and more often than not, they are the most privileged members of society who are mad that they're not getting like a hundred percent positive feedback for everything they're doing. Um, you know, Nick DePaulo is being infringed upon in no legal way. He's just pissed off because he, you know, not everyone wants to buy his shit or not everyone wants to sell his shit, but. Losing a job at Sirius XM Radio, that's not thats not your free speech being violated by the government. That's, that's actually the free market. That's libertarian shit. That's the market speaking as well it should, you know? Um, <laughs> this is not, this is not health care. This is not a, a need that people have. This is a, a perfectly fine thing to exist in an elastic e- economic sense. Uh, this is, you know... No one should be guaranteed the right to be a fucking comedian. You should absolutely be guaranteed the right to be, you know, to go to a hospital. That that's why this this it's fine that this exists in uh in you know in a libertarian fucking free market like open <laughs> thing, all right. Um, and so you know the ultimate irony here is that these these people you know, their favorite thing is is what they're using as an example of persecution. Um. But you have to ask yourself, why do the Chuds love Lenny Bruce? Why do they consider themselves to be fighting the same fight as him? And I think 
the answer there is the answer to, uh, you know, just a greater question at large, which is why are shitty middle-class, well-off guys pissed off even though they're doing, you know, okay as far as uh, at least relatively within American society? Where do these people come from? Why is Trump the president, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And the answer being the, the, the same answer. The, the answer, the question of why these people are like this is the same, you know, it's the same question as, well, just why are there all these fucking dudes on my Facebook who uh, record videos of themselves ranting about, you know, Trayvon Martin and Colin Kaepernick and shit in their truck? It's the same thing. It's the same alienation. The alienation that, you know, Trump capitalized on and that, white supremacists capitalize on and that the alt-light and alt-right capitalize on is that of young aggrieved men who live in a society that that you know that puts them in a situation where they're told they're supposed to be all these fucking things there's not enough money there's not enough jobs um you know they eventually get aggravated and culturally pissed off at uh what they perceive to be affirmative action um all this other shit yada yada that's the same fucking story every time right but instead of the uh the culprit here being you know the fucking guy they elected president or b- banks you know your fucking shitty bank or your landlord or the the cop the 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 concept of uh you know capitalism at large etc not to beat that fucking drum a million times um in order to arrive at this point you have to stitch together a story that that reaches as far back as lenny bruce and george carlin and i don't think that's a coincidence i don't think there's there's a i don't think it's a coincidence that the make america great again thing alludes back you know, 50, 60 years. And so does this concept of, uh, of, you know, of shitty comedians fighting the good fight the way it was fought 50 or 60 years ago in their imagination. In order to exist in this current year, 2019, and be, you know, unpersecuted in this way and somehow imagine yourself to be persecuted... Uh, in order to be a fucking right-wing person who's never had the cops tell them they can't say something, you know, but somehow imagined that the government during this time is doing anything but the opposite of that, you know, to be fucking hanging around and, and hearing about the cops kicking in people's doors for making, you know, like left-wing arguments and jokes and things like that, but having never fucking heard that in the other direction, in order to make that leap of logic, you have to be kind of a coward. And... You have to be someone who is insisting that the horse still fucking jumps around with its two front paws aligned like a kitten. You have to be someone in Lenny Bruce's time that is insisting that it's still okay to do blackface because, you know, whatever. Because you're, you know, you won't admit that you're, 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 you don't want to evolve and you don't want to like write new shit essentially that's what it comes down to I don't know why I did a fucking hour of podcasting about this the the moral of the story is write new shit I guess I don't know get better um <laughs> anyways um yeah uh write new shit uh don't be a fucking lazy hack 
Um, that's it. That's kind of all I got on this. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you learned something. Um, <coughs> if uh, if you didn't know about any of this shit, um, if you didn't or did or have any complaints, email them to someone else. I don't give a fuck. Um, I wish I had a funny person I could say email this to that person, but everyone is afraid of the internet. Um, <laughs> every, oh God, everyone is like, ah, everyone has such a double standard about this shit. Okay, uh, anyways, um, if you want to hear about that stuff, if you want to hear about the stuff I'm cutting myself off from talking about right now, hey, why don't you check out our Patreon on patreon.com slash fucking pod damn America um, for access to all of our bonus episodes. We do generally a bonus episode a week as well as a regular episode a week. There's a fuck ton of shit back there. So if you just want to take a peek, five bucks. Can you tell I'm trying to plug this real hard? I, we just, God, we're so close to being fucking employed off this. And, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, what are you going to spend your money on? A cup of coffee? Fuck a cup of coffee. Kid in Africa? No. Uh, come on. How about podcasters in Brooklyn instead of that? That's not even a thing people do anymore. All right, listen, I am still kind of keyed up, so I'm going to go um, drink some sleepy time tea and uh, think about something else. All right. Uh, tags in